This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here with a return guest, a frequent guest, Larry Allen of Allen Federal. Larry, welcome back to the show, man. Mark, thanks very much. It's great to be back. And and always great to have you, particularly, um, you know, either right before the end of the FY or right after the end of the FY, because, you know, we, we have this annual discussion of something called a continuing resolution. So and lo and behold, we have another, Larry. What a shock. What a shock, Mark. Uh, who saw this one coming? Uh, <laughs> so give me the. Uh, the the short version of the impact of this particular uh, CR. Sure. Well, I think we can talk about the things we definitely know, Mark, and then there's a lot, unfortunately, that we don't know that we can speculate on. What we do know is we have a continuing resolution for all federal agencies to operate under until about the 17th of December. Uh, and that means that the government's open for business, but it also means that If you're a company that relies on appropriated funds for your customers to start new projects, that can't happen right now. That's probably the big deal for most companies is that uh, the government is allowed to do the things that it already started to do last year or the year before, but it can't use appropriated dollars to start any new project. So unless you have access to a revolving fund or a capital fund, actually your customer has access to one of those types of funds, no year money, uh, which do exist. Those do exist, but they certainly do not compensate for the lack of appropriated dollars. So new starts are going to be very slow, meaning the fiscal year is going to get off to another slow start. Mark, I hate to say it, but that's kind of the good news because that's the stuff that we know. What we don't know is what happens after December 17th. We probably really won't know for sure until after the November midterm elections. And I think that if you're looking at the polls, they're gonna, they say that uh, the Republicans have a decent shot of picking up at least the House of Representatives. That's really all they need, Mark, in order to put pressure on this congressional term to kick things over into the 2023 calendar year uh, before passing final uh, FY23 appropriations. We actually saw that discussion happening uh, before the current CR was passed. Uh, There weren't the votes there for it now, but there may be votes for it or there may be a sentiment for it that says, you know, we're going to pass another CR that takes everybody until the middle of January. Uh, and then the next Congress will deal with it. So your prognostication is we aren't going to have a budget until early mid next year. I'm afraid that my prognostication is exactly that. I think FY 23 is shaping up to look a lot like FY 22 Mark. You know, we did not have appropriations passed until late winter, early spring, uh, this 
past fiscal year. I think the landscape is shaping up for that to happen again. If that's true, you'll have a lot of new members of Congress that bring in their own ideas about things. It's not like they're going to be able to change everything, but it does increase the uncertainty. It increases what you want to have at that point is you want to have things look like last year. Not that that was great, but at least you have six years worth, six years, six months worth of appropriated money that you and your agencies can do something with. And a, a big ride of the Valkyries, as I like to say, in August and September. But, you know, you could have some people who say, you know, except for the Department of Defense and the Department of Homeland Security, what we really want is a year long CR. That's talked about, and I wouldn't say right now that that's something that's likely, but it's important to understand that that could very well be on the table come January. Okay. The whole CR thing, you know, I make a joke about it, but we've been talking about it literally every year since I've been on the station, which is 16 (laughs) years now. (laughs) So, yeah, the new normal is to have a, a, a fiscal year that really uh, where you get final appropriations before Christmas. I had been hoping for that earlier. I think if you're in favor of government being able to plan and do things, I mean, because everybody kind of now in industry and government, both, they probably they all know that if we we're going to have to survive till the end of the calendar year and then we'll get our money. And most people have been able to make do with that because it does happen so often. Uh, but if that's not the case, the longer people have to operate under a CR, the worse off both government and industry are going to be. Now, are small businesses impacted more than large businesses here? Well, I think maybe small businesses, Mark, to the extent that they're newer market entries uh, or are looking for new projects to bid on. You know, if you're a Polaris bidder, the GSA's Small Business Polaris Program. You know, <laughs> the appropriations are part of your problem. We'll talk about the other problems later right. on. Yeah. But uh, it's difficult to talk to an agency uh, about starting something new. I mean, you can talk to them about it. But as I said, they can't really start anything new. So unless you've got some incumbency as a small business uh, or you're working really in that micro-purchase threshold area, that doesn't get a lot of oversight, you know, that's, but that's $10,000 and below per transaction. You know, you're probably not going to have a real strong start to this fiscal year. Yeah. Unless you're really a tiny company and product driven, that micro purchase level is not going to help a great deal. That's right. That's right. It's pretty limited. And, you know, and and agencies will do micro purchases. They absolutely will do them. But uh, if they do too many of them with you in a confined period of time, then they're going to get a tap on their shoulder from someone higher up saying, hey, you need a contract. Yeah. And we've seen variations of that theme ever since the card program kicked off back in 89. I mean, it, it was fun early on because there were no stipulations that contracts were required to use the micro purchase, but back then the micro purchase was twenty five hundred bucks, not ten grand. Right. So it was, you know, designed to get rid of the impressed funds. And I, you know, I think you can still have some uh, business there, but as you say, it's mostly product based business, 
Not all. I've certainly seen people do uh, services for uh, the micro purchase threshold. But usually what happens in that case is you'll get three or four or five micro purchase buys with the same company for the same project. And then that raises scrutiny uh, in the federal agency and then things ground to a halt until you can get a contract done. Yeah. It's an interesting world we live in, Larry. People think that the government, that government procurement is dull, Mark, but it really isn't. It can be very exciting and it's got its own group of angels and sinners. People ask me, you know, how did I get started? And well, you know, that's a convoluted story, but I'm glad I ended up here because it's the biggest damn market in the world. Um, you know, you're a solopreneur, I'm a solopreneur, and we're both able to make a living because we own this esoteric knowledge on respective <laughs> niches. You know, That's right. Any- that, 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 you know, knowledge is key in this market. It really is. And, but it, it shouldn't be surprising because that's key to success in any market. Right. And for, for you, you know, the knowledge, your background on the contract side of things is, is deep and extraordinary. And I, you know, I use your name frequently when people are, you know, I go, no, that's not my gig. Talk to Larry. <laughs> um, yeah. I'll get lost in this stuff. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. Larry and I are going to come back and talk about a number of things that are going to impact uh, FY23. We'll return right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. My guest today is Larry Allen of Allen Federal. I suggest you find him and subscribe to his weekly newsletter, The Week Ahead, allenfederal.com. Find him on LinkedIn, connect. Larry, we've discussed multiple times the increased burden for socioeconomic-related companies. All of the Section 889, the CMMC, the Affirmative Action the environment stuff. Speak to me about this, please. You know, Mark, I think one of the things that companies of all sizes need to be aware of is that the amount of uh, requirements that are going into your government contract, some of which are only tangentially related to the performance of that contract, uh, is going up. And if you're a small business in particular, I think you have to take a hard look at some of the things that are going to be required of you Uh, I've looked at a couple of draft solicitations lately, Mark, for commercial items, and they have both an environmental clause that talks about environmentally friendly products, and they have a requirement that you as a company weigh in on your climate change policy and what it is you're going to do to reduce your carbon footprint. And that latter one has some annual reporting. It has more frequent than annual reporting at the beginning requirements. You know, these are things that require you to put in new processes to uh, track and uh, write out the report and send it to the contracting officer who will check the box, hopefully. But if you take them all together, it's a lot of stuff that you don't have to encounter if you're doing business commercially often. Section 889, that's still being plumbed for uh, how much it's going to impact companies and just If you're not familiar with that, it has to do with really the big part of it is not being able to use banned IT and telecommunications equipment anywhere in your enterprise, regardless of whether or not 
that part of your company is supporting government contract business. So if you have both commercial offices and government contract offices, Section 889B covers both of those, and you have to go and do a reasonable review, an audit, if you will, of whether or not you have any banned products in your telecommunications and IT infrastructure. Uh, Coming soon, eventually, to DOD contractors is going to be CMMC for Cyber Maturity Model Certification. And it's not really known what the costs are going to be here. I know DOD is working purposefully to try to ease the burden on small businesses, Mark. But when last they made public pronouncements, they did say that it's likely that the vast majority of even small businesses will be required to get a third party attestation that they, their company meets the applicable CMMC level for them to do business. Uh, and that's a cost. Let's take that one a little deeper. I mean, CMMC came out a couple of years back now and has gone through a couple iterations. What's the likelihood of it kicking in in FY23 in any enforceable format? I think that, Mark, uh, it depends on the type of company you are. If you're a large business that does a lot of business with the Department of Defense or even a medium-sized business that handles controlled, unclassified information, CY, then you could start to see this. It's probably already in your contracts with DOD and your GSA contracts, by the way, but it hasn't really been enforced. You could maybe start to see people asking whether or not you're going to get a third-party review so that you'll be in compliance. I think that's what most companies will see in in FY23. Uh, If you're a smaller business, I think the future is still pretty cloudy. And we just don't have final guidance out from the Department of Defense yet on this, Mark. And that's kind of what's keeping uh, everyone guessing. So I don't know that you'll have to see uh, if you're a smaller business, if you're a business that only does an incidental amount of business with DOD, or you don't handle any controlled, unclassified information, you won't be seeing CMMC coming to you for at least six to 12 months, I would think. It might be on the books, but they're going to be getting to people bigger than you before they get to you. And those people are probably already somewhere down the path on this. They are. In fact, there are companies that are going through provisional CMMC authorization right now. Okay. So what about affirmative action? Yeah, this is one of the things that's really kind of interesting to me, Mark. Companies have had affirmative action requirements in many of their contracts for a while, even commercial item contracts, but it hasn't really been an area of huge enforcement until recently. I think one of the things that's really notable is I got a call not too long ago from an 8A company that was asked to put together an affirmative action program and trying to explain to the person in the Department of Labor you know, why that may be redundant for an 8A company. Uh, Ultimately, the company just gave up and said, okay, fine, we're going to submit the report. So so you can see that this is an increased area of focus for this administration. There's been a lot about it written in government contract legal circles, Mark. You've probably seen some of those articles. And it's an area that contractors may not have paid 
a lot of attention to if you're a commercial item company, but you need to pay attention to it now because there are things you have to do. You have to have an affirmative action plan. You have to file periodic reports. There's a new electronic portal that covers submissions for all but construction companies. Uh, so this is an area that may have always been there, but now it's getting increased emphasis and it's something that contractors need to pay attention to. Does DEI have a a role in that whole thing? The diversity, equity, and inclusion? Oh, I think that this is all right. I think, Mark, that this is the emphasis on affirmative action, the emphasis on DEI, the administration's stated goal to double the amount of business it gives to small disadvantaged businesses. This is all part of the government's push to enforce uh, socioeconomic goals uh, through government contracting. Certainly not the first time government contracting has been used for that. These are socioeconomic goals that are perceived goods for many people uh, in government and out of government. Uh, And they are or may be perceived goods, in fact, but they're also not without costs to implement and be compliant. And I think that's the takeaway here. Yeah. None of it's easy. Well, you know, it's what ironic about it, Mark, is at the same time, uh, these socioeconomic requirements, the government keeps talking about how it wants to attract new small businesses uh, and non-traditional offers. Uh, no, you don't. <laughs> Just to be honest, no, you don't. You know, you, you, know you, you ask people to come in and come over the brick wall, then you add a few more bricks to the wall and make it that much more difficult to climb. And the studies I see show that the percentage of Smalls winning business is not huge. And it's the same companies for the most part until they graduate to that uh, alleged mid-tier or no longer small. And, you know, the next crop of winners who are, you know, focused usually, you know, when, when when they're winning business, they're focused usually on a particular agency and they grow their beachhead there and they expand that before they migrate to others. But it's not a uh, as open a market as a lot of people would want you to believe, particularly politicians. Well, I think that, you know, one of the major takeaways there, Mark, that you just said is absolutely right. I think sometimes there's a tendency to look at small business numbers at uh, the macro level and you're like, oh, well, we're hitting our small business goals. That's great. But you're right. Look at the companies that are getting awarded. It's the same companies over and over again. Uh, I know the market research that I've done for a number of my clients, regardless of market segment, keep showing up the same names that are winning contracts and getting bids. You know, these are the people that have broken the code. They know the process. They know their relationships. Uh, What that means, though, if you're one of those small businesses that hasn't broken the code, government business is still going to be something that's very difficult for you to win uh, there are always programs, SBIR and things of that nature, but even in SBIR, there are a limited number of frequent winners. So, yeah, uh, you, you need to reclassify how you look at small businesses. Uh, what are the net new awards to new market entries? That would be an, a number that would be interesting for the government to track. 
Indeed. All right, we're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. Larry and I will return and continue our discussion of things to worry about for FY23. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here with my friend and frequent guest, Larry Allen of Allen Federal. Um, Man, you know, we got this uh, midterm coming up, and we, we touched on it a little bit, but give me the rest of your thoughts on what this could do. Mark, I think that it's important for government contractors to pay attention to what's happening in the midterms for a couple of reasons. We certainly talked about the appropriations issue already, and that's a big one. But you're also going to potentially see some new people in charge of setting up the oversight and legislative agenda. And that can change your marketplace if you're a government contractor. So uh, whether or not the Republicans take over uh, in the House, you're going to have a new chair of the main committee that oversees GSA and a lot of government acquisition actions. The person who's been the chair of that committee is now retiring, not running for re-election. So regardless of which party controls, there's going to be a new person setting the agenda for that major committee. And then different chairs, Mark, use that seat to do different things. Some use it to roast government agencies over the coals or perceived acquisition wrongdoings. And of course, that flows down to contractors as well. So uh, contractors have to watch that space. Also, with a host of new faces coming in, you can anticipate that Next year's defense authorization bill, the bill that really creates acquisition policy, not just for DOD, but across government, will have some potentially new ideas to come into it, some of which may be beneficial to industry, some of which industry may want to take another look at, Mark. So I think that uh, while people may not consider themselves to be overly political in the government market, make no mistake, elections matter and elections matter in terms of your government business as well. And if you don't pay attention, you may wake up one morning and find that that program that you really like and have done well with was changed by a new member of Congress uh, via some legislation that was passed while you were out trying to sell. Yeah, I mean, one one recent instance of that was the the plan to defund the SIBR. And that created a, you know, a furor in a small community, but they reversed it. Well, right. And I, you know, there were reasons why too. I mean, there was a, I think it caught a lot of people by surprise, Mark, the fact that the SBIR program might not be renewed, but the, one of the reasons why that we touched on last segment was the wards keep going to the same companies over and over again, Cibber mills, who knew? And there had to be clarity bought in the last, uh, in the 11th hour, to allow those objections to be overcome and to have that funded. But, you know, if you rely on government on that program for doing a lot of your government business and it doesn't have any funds, well, (laughs) you've got to find another road. Yeah. Well, that, you know, that kind of uh, leads me to the next question I want to discuss next issue. There is a real increase in the use of the small disadvantaged business program What does that mean overall, and what does it mean for other small businesses? Well, I think that, and that's a good question, Mark. I think that the 
uh, increase in small disadvantaged business makes a difference whether you're a small business or even a large business. And you, again, this is something you have to pay attention to. I mentioned earlier the administration's stated goal is to double over five years uh, the number of awards that go to small disadvantaged businesses. Well, how did they do in FY22? Surprisingly, Mark, they increased it by 50% in just FY22. It went up substantially. And so I think it's poised to go up again in FY23. That's great news if you're a small disadvantaged business because you have more dollars that are flowing directly to you. If you're a woman-owned small business or just a general small business earnestly trying to do business with the government, look, the government's overall small business goal of 23% has not gone up. If more business is being done uh, with small disadvantaged businesses and they're taking up more and more of that 23% goal, that could mean potentially less business for you as a small business of another category. Uh, not to say that 23% is the cap, it's just that, you know, historically some government agencies do go over 23%, historically some don't, but that's usually right around where the government tops out, but somewhere between 23 and 25% of government uh, business goes to small businesses. Uh, so if you've got one subset that's eating up more of that space, that's going to put pressure on the others. Similarly, if you're a large business, I think it means that you have to look at how you could partner with small disadvantaged businesses for specific projects. Uh, maybe they're going to be the ones that get to be the prime because an agency is going to take a procurement and select it for small disadvantaged business bidders only. Uh, and anecdotally, I've seen that happen a couple of places, Mark, uh, not across the board, but look, if you know that these are companies that are in favor now in government and that this administration has said, we want you executive branch to use them more, then that's something that large businesses from a partnership standpoint want to address as well. And, you know, the, the whole partnering thing, uh, larges being subs to the, uh, to the smalls. I hear, great things and I hear questionable things about that, but it's been going on for a while anyway. So if an agency wants a particular small involved, you know, they're either going to prime or sub. Well, I think that's right. And I think, you know, and you are right about that. There are certain agencies, you know, certain procurements where people have identified who they'd like to do business with either because uh, they've had past good experience or they're trying to meet a socioeconomic goal uh, regardless, as a company out there trying to do government business, you have to be aware of those things. You have to have the conversations with not just the end user, but the acquisition part of the agency that you're trying to do business with, because it's the contracting officer that decides the acquisition approach. Uh, you don't want to be working a project as a large business to find out that the acquisition side has designated this for small business all along. And, and companies, that does happen to companies. So you need to, to have that discussion. You need to be aware uh, of what's going on uh, in that part of your business. So word of caution. Yeah, yeah. Um, we got a couple of minutes left in this segment, and I, I'm hoping that this topic doesn't take a long time. Ha ha. 
Uh, but we have the continued impact of inflation on the entire country. But how does that impact the mar- our market? Well, Mark, it, it really is impacting our market in a couple of ways um, that are inconsistent. On the one hand, you have policymakers in both GSA and to a somewhat lesser extent DOD saying, yes, we want to grant relief to companies that are impacted by inflation. Even if you're on a firm fixed price contract, we understand that, yeah, look, nobody was expecting this type of inflation that we haven't had for 40 years. Uh, and so you know, we want particularly smaller medium businesses to be able to not lose money on their government transactions, which some are, and without getting their prices adjusted to reflect market reality. It's not just those businesses, but those are the ones that are less able to absorb those hits. So you've seen the policymakers, Mark, say, yes, we want to help. And they've issued guidance. GSA has issued two types of guidance right now uh, saying we want to help and make it easier and be more flexible to allow you to increase your prices. That's not really resonating, unfortunately, at the line level with contracting officers. Uh, Contracting officers are a little slow to move off of that. They're still kind of wondering if their agency IG might come look over their shoulder and ask what's going on here. Contractors are being asked to do a lot of documentation in order to justify a price increase. And that's extra work, but it's also a delay. Uh, so your, your relief that you thought was coming is harder to get, and it's taking longer to get there. Look, contracting officers, I'm not, you know, they've got their own legitimate concerns. The IG does look over their shoulder. Uh, they do feel like they want to have documentation, and it's ultimately their decision on whether or not to increase prices. Uh, but, you know, in light of the policy that is supposed to make it easier, I think industry was kind of hoping not for carte blanche, because you're not going to get that either, but for a little bit more of a rapid change that acknowledges the world in which we live in. People may be driving less, Mark, but we all drive. We all see how the prices people pay at the pump and at the grocery store. It shouldn't be a surprise that your government contractor needs a price increase. Yeah, and one of the uses of the smart pay card is travel and Airline prices have just friggin' skyrocketed. Yeah, they really have. I mean, you've got more people who want to fly. The airlines took a lot of capacity out during the pandemic. A lot of uh, pilots retired, and you can't just call them up on a Tuesday and get them back in the cockpit on Wednesday, Mark. Uh, it takes training. It takes time to get recertified, even if those people want to come back. So. The airlines have kind of been caught. And if you're a government traveler, you know, you've got the city pairs program that GSA does. But uh, certainly if you're using travel card, you've seen your prices go up for for travel. Yep. All right. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. Again, I'll be wrapping up with Larry right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here with my friend and frequent guest. The reason he's a frequent guest is he knows a lot of stuff that I don't know, and I love picking his brain. Larry Allen. Uh, Larry, thanks for being with me today. Um, let's, let's wrap up by doing a review 
of the uh, the the truly the myriad uh, or maze of GSA programs that are in the pipeline or, you know, well, just take it. I'm not going to say anything else right now. Sure. So, Mark, this is a big time of uh, year. This big uh, this is going to be a big year for GSA IDIQ contracts. Big year. Uh, we recently saw the Alliant Free Office uh, put out the Alliant Free Draft RFP for that contract. Uh, they did a really nice job in getting that out quickly, Mark. Alliant 2, as you know, is extremely popular. This is GSA's main IDIQ, not the only one, but it's the main non-schedules IDIQ for IT solutions. Uh, and Alliant 3, people are hoping, uh, will be every bit as successful as Alliant 2 is today. Uh, but the GSA has to work quickly on Alliant 3. They don't have a lot of runway. So uh, kudos for them getting out uh, quickly on that. I just wish that they would uh, open up and have a little bit more discussion with industry. Acquisitions run better the more you talk with industry. Uh, But, you know, in terms of timing, they didn't have a lot of time. So they're doing nice work. And that's going to be massive. Whether you're a large business or a small business, Alliance 3 could end up being a very large IT solutions contract. Not into IT or more in the services side. Well, coming soon will be the Oasis Plus RFP. Uh, that should be coming out probably right around the turn of the new year, Mark. I think right right after the calendar year. Uh, this will be the contract that will replace the popular current Oasis vehicle. And Oasis Plus, as the name suggests, uh, is going to have a much broader scope. And it's going to have a significantly lower barrier to market entry. So if you're one of those service companies, particularly a smaller company uh, that never thought it could get on to one of these big IDIQ contracts, take a look at what's coming out on Oasis Plus. Uh, it's not like that you can come in if you're brand new, but GSA is trying to uh, really make it uh, more of a vehicle for more companies. They're going to have, I think, at least five different small business trenches on that contract, Mark, uh, in addition to the unrestricted. So uh, that's going to be a potentially huge services vehicle. Uh, Switching gears up to things that are already out, uh, we have the Polaris Small Business IT. (laughs) Uh, Right. It's not, strictly speaking, the companion to Alliant 2, but it is sort of, Mark. Uh, this is the small business IT, uh, IDIQ. Right now, that's sidelined by protests, uh, on, uh, on one protest in particular that is not at GAO. It's at the Court of Federal Claims. And I, I think that's a concern, Mark, because uh, GAO has to dispose of a protest within 100 days of uh, it being filed and frequently an agency would take remedial action before that 100-day period came to be. But the claims court, it's much more of a formal legal proceeding. And this could take a while. This protest could take a while to clear unless GSA addresses uh, the issues or feels that it has to address the issues that the protesters uh, raised. And I think that's really unfortunate. We know that Polaris came into being because Alliant 2 small business could never get off the launching pad uh, because of protests. So here we are back with that. 
Uh, you know, I think that, you know, I mean, businesses are free to pursue their own business interests, Mark. We certainly pursue our own business interests with our companies. But you also have to have some sense, I think, of the larger landscape in which you're doing that business. Uh, too many protests on too many small business IDIQs may end up being uh, killing the goose that laid the golden egg. Look, small businesses as a percentage do better on these IDIQ contracts than they do on open market procurements. Uh, Whether you're a prime or a subcontractor, uh, percentage-wise, IDIQ business is much better business for you as a small business. But that's only true if the business, the contract itself is viable. If you don't have a viable contract because you can't get past the protest hurdles, then it's not a vehicle that's of use to anybody at all. Uh, And you throw yourself as a small business on the vagaries of non-IDIQ markets, uh, which are much more difficult to navigate, as we've talked about here. So while I think that there's always a a good, uh, I think that I'm generally in favor of protests when there's a legitimate reason to do that, I also think you have to be aware of what you might be doing to yourself and your colleagues by continuing to protest over time. I know that's also part of the problem, not just with GSA, but with NIH's CAOSP4 contract, which continues to be delayed by its own protests. Um, And most of those protests, I'm not picking on small businesses. I'm a small business, you're a small business. I ran a small business before I did this for a living. So to be clear, I like small businesses, but it just happens that CISP4 is delayed by small business protests. So uh, I think that's something, again, that industry really has to be cognizant of. Uh, IDIQ business is good business for companies that know how, but if the well is poisoned, you can't expect your government customer to wait for that contract to come online forever. They're going to go buy, and if they... Uh, perceive that your company is one that's going to be protesting and hassling them, they may decide that they they may not want to do business with you. So, yeah, that is the poison pen kind of situation. Um, but let's take uh, SP four and Polaris because of the perpetual protest mode, uh, particularly on four. Is is this? Uh, is this driving uh, agency buyers to GSA schedules or schedule technically? So I think uh, if you're an NIH buyer, you still have the ability to make some buys under CIS P3. So Mm -hmm. at some point that contract, you know, is either going to have to be extended or have its ceiling increased uh, because four won't be ready to go on time. There's no snow way. Uh, if you're doing business outside of health IT, I think the main beneficiary of all these protests is the schedules program. We saw schedule dollars go up in FY22, Mark. Not all the final numbers are in because of the delays with DOD reporting, but I think you can look for schedule sales to easily top $40 billion this year without adding in the sales that come from the VA schedules. Uh, with that, it would be you know, closer to 47 or 48 billion. Uh, and of course, the largest single part of the GSA program is IT. Yeah. So if you follow the bouncing uh, dollar sign, 
that's where the business goes. There you go. Uh, we have a couple of minutes left. I want you to touch on the uh, impact of SBA's proposed rule on the uh, STARS contract. Yeah, this is not something that's gotten a lot of attention, Mark, but I've talked to some people in the industry, at least one of whom which is every bit as knowledgeable about I uh, as I am on these, if not more, particularly when it comes to small business issues. So this is something that companies might want to pay attention to. It's a series of revisions that the SBA is proposing to make to 8A and other businesses. And I think the net takeaway, if you're an 8A STARS contractor, this could be coming soon to your contract. Uh, what SBA is proposing is that if you graduate or uh, no longer have your 8A status, then you're no longer going to be eligible for any task orders issued under 8A STARS. Uh, not just 8A STARS particularly, but any standing IDIQ contract. And that's a little bit different from the way that GSA has always played this on its acquisition programs which was why I think it's worth noting. Right now, uh, if you use the example, if you're a small business on the schedules program, you get to keep that small business status uh, for the part of the program that you qualify for until you have to make a five-year renewal or you come to the end of your contract and you have to make a new bid. If you So if you're no longer small at those points, then you're no longer small. But in the meantime, if you originally have your contract and say it's got three more years to run, you still get to call yourself small under the GSA rules on the schedules. That contrasts now with what a with SBA, the agency promoting small businesses, uh, is proposing, which would be to say the minute that you lose your 8A status, you would be prohibited from getting any more business on that existing contract, even if that contract had a couple of more years to run. Uh, so if you haven't looked at that and you're an 8A company that's doing business on STARS or another IDIQ contract, you might want to look at that SBA proposal. I think that would be good advice, Larry. Hey, you heard it here first, right? <laughs> there you go. All right, Larry, thanks for joining me again, man. We will not wait uh, however long it's been since the last show. Mark, this is tremendous. I really appreciate the opportunity. Hey, always fun, man. Uh, this is not my day job. I advise companies on the marketing side of things. Larry advises companies more on the strategic contracting side of things. Uh, if you need help on either of those, uh, I suggest you give one or the other of us a call. Uh, and I want to thank you for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.